Jonah chapter 1. Uh, we have a large portion of scripture to, to jump into this morning. Uh, but what better place than uh, the church to do this? So Jonah, chap- Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. Uh, last week we did a, the first few verses and um, we're going to do the rest of chapter 1 as well as chapter 2 um, this morning. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. Hear now the words of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us thought, give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Do you, Jonah? Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. Uh, He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. So when I was in college, um, I had several jobs, but I had a summer job that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, one of my summer jobs when I was in college is I worked for this uh, inner city ministry actually in the same neighborhood in which I grew up in, in St. Louis. Um, I was about 18 years old when I became a crew leader in the same ministry. And this ministry was a work ministry. And so uh, we would take kids from 12 to about 18 years old, and we would teach these kids how to tuck point. We would do brick work. So if you look on the, this side of the sanctuary and this side of the sanctuary, you see brick and you see the mortar in between the brick is literally what we would teach kids 12 to 18 years old how to grind that mortar out and put new mortar in. Uh, we would teach these kids the gospel. We would share with them. Uh, we would do devos with them every morning as they ate breakfast uh, with the crews together. And, uh, and when we would go uh, to our work sites uh, as we're working and as conflict would arise, we would share the gospel with these kids and point them to Jesus over and over again. That was our ultimate goal was to share Jesus with children as often as we can while they learn some work ethic. Uh, of course, the kids uh, were there to, to make a little money. And uh, it was so crazy some of the things that the kids would spend their money on. Uh, I remember uh, one, of, one of my kids on my crew, uh, after she got her first check, mind you, she's 14 years old, and she came back with tattoos all down her arm showing everybody. 14! So we would share the gospel with these kids. Um, the, the next summer, uh, I was in college, uh, I took a course. I studied criminal justice and also studied political science, but a part of my criminal justice major, um, I, I took a class in college where the only thing we did was we toured uh, prisons. So we would tour maximum security prisons, minimum and medium security prisons for kids, for women, and also for men. We would tour these facilities. We'd get to walk around these facilities, and then we'd write responses uh, about these facilities. So uh, I, I remember going through one of the facilities very vividly. Um, and you just wouldn't imagine some of the, the, the language what we would hear, some of the things that the inmates would say to us as we're walking through uh, these cell blocks. And I remember this one uh, maximum security men's facility. Uh, we were walking through the yard, and literally what they gave us was a guard in the front of us. They gave us a guard in the back of us, and they gave us these little alarms that we wore on our sides. Uh, and so if something were to go down, we were to push the button on our sides. While there's in hundreds of inmates all around us, that little alarm was going to save us, right? Um, so I remember specifically walking through this, this penitentiary in Missouri. And uh, I remember all of a sudden I saw this guy did like this. What's up? And I looked and I just put my head down. Um, and it broke my heart to see one of my crew members in prison. Um, and at the time, he was 18 years old, and he had been there for a couple years already. And I saw a guy that I had a relationship with. Um, he had 
his uniform on. And he was no longer the, the named, by the guy that I knew his name was. He was a number. Uh, that's what he was. And this guy, here he is, yeah, paying, um, uh, his dues to society, paying for the, the choices that he had made, the mistakes that he had made. He's paying for them, but he found himself in prison, in a cell. And it broke my heart to, to see him there. But a kid in prison doing hard time in a maximum security facility. There were consequences for his actions. There were consequences for some of the choices that he had made. So now he found himself in a cell where he spent most of his time, even as a teenager. And it just blew my mind to think about um, the severity of the consequences that he had to deal with. But not only the severity of his consequences, but then I began to think about how this prison experience for him, and though he may not be able to articulate it the way that I can think about it, it was a savior to him. Here this guy is as a young teenager making extremely poor choices, and now his life has been slowed down. He's got time to to think about the things that he's been doing and the choices he's been making. He's got time on his hands. There he is, locked away in a cell, thinking about what he's done. And on one hand, it's consequences, but get this. On the other hand, I believe it's the grace of God towards him. Because out on the streets, he could have been taken out. But God, in his sovereign mercy, sent him to prison and slowed him down and gave him time to think about the choices he had been making. See, he knew the truth. He knew it. I shared it with him personally. He knew the truth. Now he had time to think about it. When we come to our text this morning... Um, that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see a guy who last week we saw how disobedient he was, but this week we're going to see a guy who's got to pay for some of that disobedience. We're going to see a guy who's paying some consequences for some of that disobedience. But yet in God's sovereign mercy and loving compassion, he's paying for some consequences on one hand, but on the other hand, he's being loved. He's being loved. And that's what we're going to see in Jonah's story. But before we jump in, let's pray. Gracious God, help us this morning. Help us to to hear from you, to, to see you, to experience you this morning. Help us, oh God. Father, we need an encounter with you. Father, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. But, but Lord, I know that by your power, by your hand, if we encounter you this morning, you are enough. You're enough. So may we do just that this morning, oh God. Help us, Lord, 
to go deeper in you, to be drawn to you, to gaze upon you for all that you are this morning. Father, I pray that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase, that you would speak through me. I'd be a willing vessel to say what you have for me to say. Father, be faithful to give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we began our series uh, in the book of Jonah, and we talked about multiple things. We talked about how one of the big themes in the book of Jonah is this idea of sin and grace. Sin and grace. The, the idea of sin is that we are rebelling against running away from the God that loves us. And the idea of grace is the idea of the God that is compassionate and zealous for us, is moving towards us and pursuing us. Uh, we also talked about God who is compassionate. We talked about a compassionate and a gracious God. We talked about Jonah's uh, disobedience. We talked about his disobedience and and all that that meant. Um, we need to familiarize ourselves uh, with with the book of Jonah. We talked about how Jonah was a minor prophet, and it was 48 verses, and it wasn't that minor doesn't mean his information is less important, but that it's shorter. Um, and we talked about that as well. Uh, and you know what? I would just say this. If, if you haven't already done this, and even if you've done it in the past, read through the book of Jonah to familiarize yourself with this story and what's happening. It's a great redemptive story. Um, read through it in your own time. I would love for you to, to do that. Um, what we see here is God's compassion. We see God's grace, uh, specific to Jonah. So God gave Jonah orders, and we saw this last week. God gave Jonah orders. God says, arise and go out to Nineveh and Call out against them uh, because their evil has risen up against me, before me, he said. And so basically what God told Jonah to do, is, he says, Jonah, get up and go preach to them. Declare to them. And we're going to get back to that in, in a second. But I think one of the things we see from Jonah's story is that, get this, our sin has far-reaching effect on the people around us. Our sin has far-reaching effect on the people around us. But what do you mean, Chris? What do you mean? So often we hear people saying things like, uh, it's my body. Um, you can't tell me what to do with my money. You can't tell me what to do. I, I, it's, it's just me. It's, it, I'm doing me, right? I'm doing me. But our sin, what we'll find has far-reaching effects on the people around us. Um, this is the story, this is like the Titanic of the Old Testament. Uh, you know, the, the, the emotion, the drama, the, 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 the craziness, all of that is there. Of course, there's no Leonardo DiCaprio, but that's all right. Jonah is definitely not that. Um, this is a bad storm. You know how this is a bad storm is because here you have uh, you have sailors who are crying out. And these guys are professionals. They're not some amateur kind of sailors. They're professionals. So, you know, when these sailors are crying out, this storm is bad. 
It's like being on the plane, right? And you experience some turbulence. You experience some turbulence and, you know, the, the flight attendant walks through the aisle and she's saying, oh, calm down, just a little turbulence. Everybody just relax. But then you experience some turbulence and if you ever just hear the flight attendants, imagine the flight attendants just screaming and wailing, help us. Then you better be afraid. You, you, you better be afraid. And this is what's happening in this story here. The flight attendants are yelling, wailing. They're yelling, they're wailing, they're screaming. Y'all know exactly what I meant. <laughs> yelling. Um, they're screaming. They're crying out for help. And Jonah is asleep. They're crying out. And Jonah is asleep. How in the world could Jonah be asleep? I think this is a sign of depression. I think um, because Jonah is so far from the will of God, he's being incredibly disobedient, so blatantly disobedient that he finds, he finds himself in a depressed state. And here he is when the storms and the waves are raging, Jonah is in the bottom of the boat, asleep. He's depressed. Ever been there? Ever ever found yourself so far out of the will of God? Ever been so disobedient that you were depressed? You were down? You didn't know how to pull yourself out of the rut, and all he could do is sleep. He's depressed. So Jonah is asleep, and the captain's like, what, what in the world are you doing asleep? What in the world are you doing? He says to him, and I love God's sense of humor here, the captain says to Jonah, arise, get this, and call out to your God so that we won't die. I love the irony, because remember last week, uh, in, in verse 2, God says to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and call out against them. He says, arise and call out against them, preach to them. And here this unbelieving sailor comes to Jonah and says some of the same words. If I'm Jonah, you got to be, really? Really? I've went, get this, Jonah has went 500 miles away to Joppa. He jumps on the ship and he sails away a couple thousand miles trying to get to Tarshish. And then this sailor who is not a believer comes to him and says the exact same words that God says to him. God has a sense of humor. He says, arise and preach. Pray. Arise. See, what's crazy is here we have an unbelieving person saying to the believer, call out to your God, pray on our behalf or we will die. Do you see the irony in that? A person who does not know the one true and living God calling the person who does know the one true and living God to pray. See the irony in that? What about you? The unbelieving people in this city run into the issues of this city before you are? 
are the unbelieving people in this city running to the, the poor before you are? Are they running to the fatherless before you are? Are they running to help and serve the single moms before you are? Man, the irony in what we see here, the unbeliever calling for the believer to pray blows my mind. Um, I think of drunk drivers. And um, I know a lot of alcoholics. I think everybody's got some alcoholism in their family someplace. But you know what's crazy to me to think about is that typically um, when you have somebody that's drinking, um, drinking themselves senseless, and then they, they decide to drive, right? Um, what blows my mind is that it just works out this way, it seems like, that usually when this person who's made a lot of poor decisions and has drunk themselves senseless, when they get in an accident, they come out of the accident unscathed. That blows my mind. But they tend to take others' lives, tend to inflict pain upon others, taking the lives of moms and taking children away from their families, drunk drivers. See, their sin has not only affected them, they've not only drunken themselves senseless, but their, their, their sin has also affected those that they've killed and their families that they've affected. See, when we're disobedient to God, when we are running away from God, get this, our sin just doesn't affect us. But it affects those that are around us. It affects the ones that we care about the most usually, and even people that we don't know. Our sin has effects even on the people around us. On the flip side, I think one of the things we learn from Jonah's story, and um, sometimes, get this, sometimes we got to learn how to throw people overboard. Hear what I'm saying. See, here Jonah is. They're having this back and forth almost. They cast a lot, and the lot falls on Jonah, and they realize that Jonah is the cause of this. And he agrees that he's the cause of this. And he tells them, just throw me overboard and get what they try to do. They try to compensate. They, they, they try to fix the problem on their own. They, they roll harder to try to get to dry land. And the storm just keeps on raging. And get this, something in them clicks and they, they finally realize that if we don't get this guy out of here, if we don't throw him overboard, we will die. And that's some of you this morning. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and if you don't throw him overboard, you will die. If you, if you don't get rid of her, you will die. Some of us 
need to hear that this morning. And I'm not saying don't love those that are downtrodden and those that are that can't give anything back to you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we ought to learn sometimes how to say, it's time to let you go. It's time to take my hands off. It's time to realize that I don't have control over this thing. I got to stop trying to roll to land on my own. I got to give you to God. Sometimes we got to know how to do that. At this point, um, Jonah still has a hard heart. He hasn't really said much, um, but he gets thrown overboard. He's only said a few words at this point. All of this stuff is happening around him. And I believe that he's in such a disobedient, depressed state, he doesn't even know what to say. So not many words have come out of his mouth. But secondly, get this. I believe that God will appoint hardships for us to submit to him and to bring glory to himself. There are some times that God will appoint hardships for us and to us to submit for us to submit to him and to bring glory to him. Look at verse four. Look what it says. Verse four in uh, chapter one. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Look at verse 17, that same chapter. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days. I want you to see that this is God's doing. And that's hard to say. This is God's doing. God sent the wind and God sent the fish. They were acting on the behalf of God. They were, the wind was, and the waves were acting in obedience to Almighty God. The fish was acting in obedience to Almighty God. See, God was expressing that He has control even over creation. And God sent hardships. God appointed hardships. God ordained hardships for Jonah to experience. Why in the world would God do this? See, sometimes the very things that we think will devour us are the things that will rescue us. Sometimes the things that that we assume will devour us and will murder us and will take us out and will eat us alive are the things that God has appointed and ordained to rescue us. The hardships, the trials, the, 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 the struggles, the things that we would cry out and say, God, why? Those are the very things that God has ordained and appointed in His sovereignty to rescue us. I think that's a part of Jonah's story. We see a sovereign Lord who will at times use hardships to get the attention of His people. God's doing just that. Imagine what happens if Jonah is thrown overboard and there's no fish to swallow him. Imagine what happens to Jonah. You know what happens to him? He dies. 
Water fills his lungs and he drowns. He, he dies in the raging sea if there's no fish to swallow him. See, the hardships, the very thing that Jonah probably imagined would take him out was the very thing that saved his life. And God sent that thing so that Jonah would eventually, at some point, gaze upon the glory of God again. And God sent it for Jonah to see him more clearly. Do you see how God is using this thing in Jonah's heart and in his life that it may be an instrument of grace for him? Do you see it? It's an instrument of grace for him. It's not so much about the specific hardships or situations, though. Rather, it's more about God using things that we may gaze upon Him, that we may see Him in all of His beauty, that we may see Him more clearly. He's using those hardships and those struggles that we may be drawn to Him, that we may connect with Him like we've never connected with Him before. He has a purpose in it. He has a plan in it. Um, I remember... Uh, one of the things that really helped me to um, better understand uh, my calling and investigate a calling to ministry was, uh, I remember when I was in college, I would just have people just talk to me about deep, deep stuff and serious stuff. And, um, and you know, the Lord really used that in, in my life. And uh, I remember this one particular um, girl who uh, just, she's just a bubbly girl and strong, strong um, personality um, bright girl. Uh, and I remember I was uh, sitting in the office uh, where I had my student um, job, on-campus job, and uh, I saw this girl walk past, and uh, she just didn't look like herself. Um, she was a, a girl who was well-kept, and she was a pretty girl. And But this particular day, I just saw her, and she had a hoodie on, and she just kind of had her head down. She was inside with her hoodie on, and um, with her little jogging pants on, and uh, that just wasn't her. And I, and I said, I asked her to come come in, into the office, and uh, she sat down, and uh, and I just said, "Are you okay?" She just broke down. She just broke down, and she began to tell me how she just found out that she was pregnant, um, and uh, tears rolling down her face, and how broken she was. Um, and I was able to sit before her and tell her how God uses hardships that we may see him more clearly. Here she was, college student, bright future, found herself in a place that I'm sure she never would have imagined herself in. Um, a place where she was struggling to figure out why things happened like they had happened and I was able to say to her with all honesty and seriousness that God does some things. Yes, it may be a consequence at times, but he does some things to, to slow us down that we may be in that hardship, that we may rest there and we may come out refined to see him more clearly. And at times he appoints those very hardships he ordains, those very hardships that we may come out 
and seek him more clearly. Maybe your marriage is on the brink. Maybe you've been in a broken relationship. Maybe uh, your relationship with your dad is messed up. Or maybe you've experienced some really tough stuff in your life. But I'm here to tell you that sometimes God sees fit to allow us to experience those things that we may see him more clearly. That we may be drawn to him. That we may love him more deeply and know him more deeply. It's not the end of Jonah's story. After being in the fish for three days and three nights, Jonah then decides to pray. Here is a man who has experienced um, a raging storm. He's experienced guys yelling at him uh, who, who were about to die, who felt like they were about to die, and he said nothing the whole time. Here is a guy who gets thrown overboard in a storm. He's swallowed up by a fish, and he's in that fish for three days before he prays. Before he prays. I would challenge you this morning, believers, don't wait till you're in the belly of a fish for three days before you pray. Don't wait before you cry out to God, before you depend on God, the one who has the authority to change circumstances anyway. Don't wait for three long days, three long nights. Blows my mind. Sometimes I wonder, what in the world was Jonah thinking inside the belly of a fish? I mean, this dude had, his mind had to be blown. And I don't, I don't want to explain away this thing because I, I really believe this is a miracle. Uh, this is a miracle of God. So we don't have to figure out how it happened. Miracles can't necessarily be fabricated again by human means. So this was the hand of God. I can imagine Jonah being inside the belly of a fish like, what in the world? Like, really? Is this, is this real? How did I get here three days and three nights? And then he decides to pray. Even the pagan believer tried to get Jonah to pray, and he wouldn't pray. Three days and three nights inside this fish, and he decides to pray. What if, what if we became a praying people? What if we prayed for this city? What if we prayed that our family members would come to know Jesus? What if we pray that the people that lived on our blocks, what if we were people of prayer, the person in the cubicle next to us? What, what if we became people of prayer who didn't wait till we were in the belly of a proverbial fist for three days and three nights? What if we didn't wait to pray? See, the thing about the evangelical conservative church that frustrates me at times is that we will spend more of our efforts in books and learning about theologians, but we don't know how to fall to our knees and pray. We don't understand how how to depend on Jesus. And because why? Because in our Western culture, we have everything we need, so we think. But when Jonah finds himself in the belly of a fish, he finally 
realizes this God-ordained thing helps him to realize that he does not have all that he needs. What is it going to take for you and I to realize that we don't have all that we need and we really do need to depend on Jesus and we really do need to be faithful and obedient to him? What is it going to take for us to pray right away? What is it going to take? What if we were people of prayer? Look how bad off Jonah was. I just want you to notice some of the language here in his prayer. Jonah was pretty bad off. He's saying in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Get this, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Which he's saying, on my deathbed, I'm on the brink of death, I cried. Verse 3, he says, for you cast me into the deep, and the flood surrounded me. It's all around me. Do you hear the language here? He says, also in verse 3, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, get this, were wrapped about my head. I'm covered. Water is all around me. Even weeds are around my head. I feel like I'm at the root of a mountain. He's at a low point. He's at a pretty low point. But during this low point, somehow, some way, Jonah comes to his senses and he cries out to God. Lastly, only God can deliver us from the pit. Only God can deliver us from the pit. Let us not be confused. This is not a story just about Jonah. Hear me. If you hear nothing else, I gotta, I gotta say, you gotta hear this. This is not just a story about Jonah. What this is more about is a sovereign and an all-powerful Lord. This is a story about God. This is a story about a powerful God. Jonah gets this. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 in chapter 2 says this. I'm at the roots of the mountains. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And then get what he says. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. You, God, brought up my life from the pit. And we saw how low Jonah saw that he was. And he said, you, God, only you, God, have brought up my life from the pit. God, I couldn't get any lower, but you brought my life up from the pit. God, there was nowhere else for me to go. There was nowhere else for me to turn. But you, oh God, brought my life up from the pit. Is that anybody's story this morning? That a sovereign and an all-powerful God has redeemed you and brought your life up from the pit. That's our story this morning. That only He can do that. I love what the Scripture says in verse 9 in chapter 2. It says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving with sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. But then He says this, salvation is belongs to the Lord. 
So over and over again, he's, he's torn. He's, he knows he's at the lowest point. But then he, he comes and he says, he comes to the realization, God, you have brought my life up from the pit and only you, God. Salvation is of you. Jonah recognizes, he's beginning to see more and more how powerful God is and only God can save him. I would dare say this morning, have you realized that only God can save you? Or, or, or are you moving towards money so that your finances can save you? Are you longing for a relationship so, so that new boyfriend or girlfriend can save you? Even if you're in a marriage, are you looking for your husband or your wife to save you? Jonah would tell you to pause and stop this morning that salvation is only from the Lord. It's from nowhere else. Only salvation is from Him. Had a good friend. Um, we were at a pool once, and uh, I remember um, learning how to swim when I was younger. Um, but this guy, he was older now, and he uh, he didn't know how to swim. And so we were at this pool, and we were um, having such a great time. You know, I was enjoying time with him, a little basketball in the, the, the shallow end of the pool, you know. And I wanted to go jump in the deep, but, you know, I, I just didn't want to make him feel bad, you know. Um, so we're having a good time in the shallow end. And all of a sudden, he gets out of the pool, kind of shakes himself off a little bit. He walks to the deep end, and guess what he did? He jumped in. I'm thinking to myself, are you nuts? Lifeguards jump in to save him when he plummets to the bottom and he's drowning. I don't know what he was thinking. He had to get rescued by lifeguards. I'm sure he was panicking. I'm like, dude, you are a grown man. Why in the world would you do something like that? I guess he thought he was just going to float to the top or, you know. Um, but lifeguards rescued him. They, they, they saved his life. I think that's what Jonah would say. He would say that the fish was a conduit of the grace of God on his behalf. That even though he was disobedient to God, the the fish was appointed by God to be a rescuer for him. To dive into the deeps and to rescue Jonah, even get this from himself. And this morning I would dare say for you and I that God is available through Jesus Christ to dive into the deeps for us, to rescue us from ourselves. Because whether you believe it or not, you are drowning. You're drowning in your own sin. You're you're drowning. And there is nothing you can do to save yourself. My prayer is that you would come to the, the realization with Jonah that salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from our God. That only our Lord and our Savior can pull us up from the pit. You realize that this morning. God has sent Jesus to die a death that you and I should have died. That God has sent Jesus to be buried 
and to be raised again from the dead, to rescue us from the pit. Would you receive that Jesus? Would you receive that rescuer this morning on your behalf? He loved us that much to send a rescuer for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you just didn't leave us to drown. Thank you, Father. You didn't leave us to our own devices. Thank you, Father, that you didn't leave us to ourselves, Father, but you you sent Jesus to bridge the gap, to do that which we could not do for ourselves. God, you sent Jesus to be our rescuer. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that we would, like Jonah, realize today that salvation comes from our Lord. And that only Jesus can pull us from the pit to be our rescue. Help us, Lord, to come to that recognition. Help us, Lord, to submit to You. Help us, Lord, to be the first responders. And I pray, Father, that we would be faithful to give You praise and honor. Now, God, I pray that You would Bless these gifts that we're about to receive. I pray that you would multiply them for your fame, for your glory in Memphis, Tennessee, and not our own. pray that you would use them. People may come to know you through them. Churches may be planted because of them. Interns can be planted at our church because of them. Pray that you would multiply these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.